Hello, and welcome back to The Scriptures Are Real. I'm your host for today, Lamar, and here's my co-host and regular host, Kerry Mielstein. Uh, how are you? I'm doing good. It's been a while since we've been together. Yeah, there have been uh, too, too many things going on. But, yeah. I know, but lots of great guests. I, I Like I've said before many times, I follow this podcast, uh, even when I'm not on it, uh, even better when I'm not on it, probably. Um, but uh, great guests, and you have all talked so many, uh, have so many great things to say about the area and so many um, interesting details about Israel, and I really enjoyed your guests and their insights, and I come away every time thinking, oh, that's a great point. I'm going to write that in my scriptures. I'm going to write that in a journal. And so really great thing. So I, uh, I really appreciate the guests that you have had on. And uh, But I've, I've missed talking up. with you. We need to make sure we're doing some more of this. So oh, we'll, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll repeat. <laughs> we'll, get to, we'll get together for sure. So today, before we jump in, today we're going to talk about... Um, about Christ, and uh, we're going to go through who uh, John the Baptist is beheaded by and the different Herods. We're going to talk about the effect that has on Christ, uh, what he's doing about it, and how that interacts with the feeding of the 5,000 and what we can learn from the 5,000. And also, we're going to talk about how that leads into Christ walking on the water and lessons that we can learn from that. Sounds good. Let's do it. Before we get going on this, I wanted, I know this trips up a lot of people. I've taught some lessons and some classes, and people often don't understand uh, how Herod is ubiquitous. He's everywhere. Herod, <laughs> he, he builds the temple. He's in Masada. He uh, has, the, has the children slaughtered um, in Jerusalem, and, and now he's still alive, and, uh, and that fakes some people out. So let's talk real quick about it. So Herod the Great was born in about 72 BC. Yeah. Somewhere in there, 72, 73, something like that. Yeah. We, we don't know exactly. It depends on where you date the birth of Christ, but somewhere around that time and somewhere around 36 or so um, uh, BC, he it, it comes to power in, in earnest and he makes some, uh, some military-ish sort of things. And he, he's not, he's not really allowed to be a military guy, but he is allowed to, to support, Oh, well, you know, hey, just to throw this a little bit of context for our history lovers out there, this is actually, he's actually the same time as um, as a Caesar, as a Julius Caesar, uh, Mark Antony, and Cleopatra. He actually has some interludes with with uh, with Cleopatra. And yeah, Mark Antony is one of his main supporters, one of the main reasons he has right. made the, the king in that area. And he does have a, a military. I mean, he has his own army. He can't do... Right things outside or he's not supposed to do things outside of the area he's been given but he's given a huge area and he's responsible for policing that area himself so you don't have that that huge roman presence during his day that you'll have during the savior's day um but because he's he's doing all of that himself yeah he's he's quite a tax collector um he builds some really great things including the port of uh, caesarea which is quite a feat, actually. And um, he's one of the of great builders of, of the Roman Empire. He really is. Anyway, sorry, yeah. I, I think I no, 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 excited about that. Interrupt anytime because you've been there more than I have. But uh, so anyway, he, he's he is a great builder and he does do some some good things. Now, he's not a nice guy. Maybe? No, no. <laughs> he's, a, he's, he's a bad guy. He kills all sorts of people, including his uh, own children, his brother in law. Uh, he is ruthless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some, and I mean, he has, uh, he has more than one wife. He's, he's, he's not a a good man. He's a yeah. good builder, but he's a bad man. <laughs> That's right. So I, I've often thought this, this statement, and I don't know if it's a hundred percent correct, but I've thought um, that it's good to be great, but it's better to be nice. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know I'm with you. 
I don't know if the world would agree with that because some, sometimes you need great leaders to do things. And sometimes it requires a, you know, a man with a strong will, I guess. But anyway, Herod is, uh, Herod is on his way out when Jesus is born. He's uh, not doing well. He's very sick. Um, yeah. A lot of people think he goes mad and actually has so many diseases. That might be one of the reasons why he does some crazy things like having infants slaughtered and so forth. Anyway, um, he dies probably anywhere from one to four years after Jesus is born. So that's Herod the Great. Now, yeah. Herod has uh, a number of sons, three of which um, are, uh, they divide up Israel and they are given to these uh, three sons to rule. Yeah, so the large, large area that he controls uh, at this point now, we're dealing with um, uh, Caesar Augustus. And um, that, so that's uh, Caesar, Julius Caesar's nephew, uh, Octavian, and he's, he becomes the next Caesar and uh, uh, really starts the empire as opposed to the Republic. And he, um, he feels like that this is too big of an area and he divides it up between three of Herod's sons and Herod names all of his sons after himself. So they're all Herod something. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that, that tells Herod, you something about him. <laughs> Herod becomes a title like, like Caesar became a title. Yeah, kind of, but it's also li like literally their name. He he named yeah. each of his sons after himself. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's a very modest fellow. But uh, <laughs> Herod yeah. Philip, Herod de Griffith. So the one we're going to deal with today um, in in these in these chapters would be uh, Herod Agrippa. No, Herod Antipas. I'm sorry, Herod. Man, yeah, Herod Agrippa is like Herod. a grandson. But, right. Exactly. Herod Antipas. There you go. Um, yeah, and we do Herod Philip just uh, tangentially. Yeah, he's a, he's a brother-in-law or a brother, but anyway, and then Herodias is all in there, and yeah, because he's in all kinds of trouble. You have to have everyone him. named after Harry. <laughs> I know it's silly. He's, he really so, is a megalomaniac. Yeah, so that's just so we're we're clear on who that is. So there was Herod the Great, who's now gone, and Herod um, Antipas is the is the uh, is the ruler in Jesus' time in his area. Now, yeah, so, Herod Antipas has the northern part of Galilee, right? He's got two different areas. So it ends up being divided kind of in a weird way. So initially you've got Herod Archelaus that controls what, what becomes called Judea. And that's got Jerusalem in it. Um, and then Herod Antipas is given the area just north of that. That would be the, the western side of the Galilee area. Mm -hmm. uh, and Samaria and the western side of the Galilee area. The Jordan River is actually the dividing line. Right. Um and uh, and then he's also given some area straight east of Judea. So over in modern day Jordan, um, he's given an area there as well. So that's actually John the Baptist is in that area in modern day Jordan, uh, Machaerus, when he's killed. Um, so he has these two uh, areas that like almost touch each other, but not quite um, that are, one is on the east side of the, the Jordan River and south and the others on the west side and north. And then Herod Philip is given this area that's. Um, well, you've got an area kind of in between his his um, his chunk on the eastern side. So north on the northeast side of of uh, his western area. So on the northeast side of, say, Samaria and uh, the Sea of Galilee is an area called Decapolis. Um, those are 10 cities that are mentioned in the, the New Testament. Those are 10 cities where uh, they, they had strong Hellenistic influence. And under the Maccabees, so these are the Jewish guys who threw off the the greek rulers and controlled that area until uh, herod's father actually worked with the last maccabean king and then uh, herod replaced them it's a long story but anyway um 
uh, the Maccabees had forced all these people to convert uh, to Judaism and, and uh, including. So Herod is actually an Edomite or Idumean is the way they say it in, in Latin, um, that whose family was forced to convert, but never really converted. They were just converted because they had to convert. Right. right. Um, and so you have these other groups that when things are being chopped up, they say, we don't actually want to be part of any of these groups that have kind of Jewish rulers because we don't really want to be Jewish. And so they're, they're a group of 10 cities are given uh, a different area with different rulers that it's called the capitalist 10 cities, literally. Right. Um, and so like uh, there, there are a couple of those that the, the savior will go through and, and you hear about him going into the capitalist. And then north of that, so that you've got on the north part of the Sea of Galilee going up on the eastern side up to the Jordan River is Herod Philip's territory. Uh, he he builds a city that he names after Caesar Augustus's uh, um, successor. Uh, and himself. So he calls it Caesarea Philippi, right? Because after right. Philip. So that's uh, where we're going to have some things happen in Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16. Um, but uh, you've got um, uh, that area, that capital is north, and a lot of his territory is north of uh, of where Herod Antipas's stuff is. Right. Uh, so he's on the he's on the eastern side and the northern side. So here's a, a quick one. And again, this comes from, you know, attribution to these, these people. Overviewbible.com and who is Herod? This is a is a neat little map. It shows here, here's Galilee here. And uh, here is Herod Agrippa's uh, in purple here. If you can't see it. Yeah. Or, man, I keep saying Agrippa. All right. Strike that from the record. Okay. Herod Antipas. Is, here's his section here. And then also down here is the one you're, you're talking about here. It yeah. doesn't. It, I don't know if it goes up quite to Jericho. Jericho is somewhere in this area, but does it? I don't know if it touches Jericho or not. No, uh, it no, no. Yeah, no. no Jericho because, is down by the Dead Sea. So yeah, it's it's got that would uh, be down here. But, but yeah, but Jericho's the on the Jericho's on the uh, western side. So it wouldn't because Jericho's on the western side of the Jordan River. But I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Jericho is actually still owned by um, someone else and is leased back to uh, to Herod. That anyway, could that's be. A, that's yeah. another. That's in Herod the Great's time. Anyway, not to get too deep in the weeds on that one, but there you go. This is Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, and here's the the autonomous cities that you're talking about here, or the, yeah, or the Decapolis. Decapolis. And this is where Bet Shean would be, right? And, which is called Sithopolis in the Savior's Day, mm -hmm. and up to Hippos, which is, uh, in my guess, the the city set on a hill that people. Hippos uh, would be right on. almost at the top of here, right up here. Yeah, the it's on uh, the very top of the Decapolis. It's the northern most uh, city in the Decapolis, and it's right on this, literally on the Sea of Galilee, like the shores, well, the mountain that comes up out of the Sea of Galilee, which is is neat because when you're there and you hear. Um, Jesus talking about the city on the hill that cannot be hid. He's probably speaking over here somewhere in the Mount of Beatitudes. Which yeah, on the, on the northern here. side. Yeah. Northern side right here. And he'd be looking straight across the water. And there's this great big white city. We might have even mentioned it when I was uh, on last. I can't remember. But yeah. um, it would be this big gleaming white city on the top. Or at least there's some white buildings yeah. up there. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of basalt. But the one right out on the edge is this big white limestone uh, theater. So, yeah. So you would see that over there. And so here's, it, yeah. here's Jesus teaching and over his over his shoulder here. He's like a city in the southern hill cannot be hit. And it's right there. It's really yeah. interesting to see that it's you can yeah. see that that's would be the city. Now it's kind of leveled now, but you can still kind of make that up. But that would be in those autonomous or the decapolis cities. So mm -hmm. who is it? Somebody told me that these uh, we can consider these cities like um, they're sort of like model homes for 
for living in the modern um, Roman cities to come to yeah. these. They kind of have the uh, the best of the worlds uh, in these cities. So anyway, there's Herod Antipas, just to give you an idea. So when they, they mention Herod Antipas, and from here on when it mentions Herod, um, we're talking about Herod Antipas. And he's the one that imprisons uh, John the Baptist. And his his uh, um, palace would be over here in Tiberias. There's maybe a better. Well, he's oh, he here. was he was building. Um, he was building. Uh, he had been building uh, no, a place called Sepphoris as his capital, and then he starts building Tiberias as his capital. Tiberias is right on the Sea of Galilee. Right. So that's it, where he is, probably when when John is uh, captured. But then he takes John to Machaerus, which is down in that south uh, eastern part. And that's where the dancing happens and the, the beheading happens and all that. Well, so the dancing may have been somewhere else, but the beheading happens there. That's where, where John is, at least according right. to Josephus. Perfect. So um, if, and if you're not watching this, it's okay. You can look these things up. It, the scripture, you turn me out of this. This is the scriptures.byu.edu map script. And if you go yeah. there, it will take you to, you can click on whatever chapter you're in and it will show you the places that they're talking about. Yeah. And this is, uh, you can see here at the northern end, uh, this is Capernaum right here, and Tiberius is over here. It's about, if you were to drive there, it's about 10, 11 miles to get to Tiberius if you're driving on the roads today. And do you know if there's a, a the palace is to Tiberius? Do they know where it is? I don't even know where it would be. Uh, no, it hasn't been found. We've found like some synagogues and some other things, but I don't think we've found uh, where Herod Antipas would have been. And it's, <laughs> it's worth noting... Um, that uh, the the problem with his wife that John is getting after him and the reason she wants to kill him is because he has married Herod Philip's wife. So right. that's where Herod Philip comes to play in the story that uh, his ex-wife is now Herod Antipas's current wife. And uh, that John says, you're not supposed to do that. And, and John the so, Baptist says uh, that, yeah. yeah, so she wants John killed. Yeah, so. uh, yeah, you can't talk against me, and I'll, I'll, I'll get you. So yeah. that's what what uh, Tiberius gets in, or um, uh, Antipas, uh, Herod Antipas gets in trouble for, and so his palace would have been over here, not too far away, ten miles away from Capernaum. It's not all that far, and um, so anyway, um, th this city is awesome. I, I love this city. It's a beautiful little city. It's been built over many times now, so we may not know where these ruins are ever, but uh, I had a really great experience on a hotel right here on the shore just looking out over the sea and a full moon coming up. And it was, uh, it was so peaceful. This whole area from Capernaum all the way around to Nazareth is a very peaceful area to me. I don't know if it's always yeah. been peaceful, but it used to be a trade route. There was a trade route that came through here and went up to Capernaum and there was a crossroads that came through here. And so Capernaum was actually, it's maybe we think of it as a sleepy little village, but it also had contact with a lot of people coming and going through this area. Yeah, there would be a, a lot of trade going through. There's a lot of people coming through here. And um, so this is a kind of a little crossroads area. So Jesus positions himself well. It's a nice little place. It's I, like I've said many times before, it kind of feels like inland California. Just it's only 30 miles from the coast of um, of the Mediterranean Sea. And it feels just like a little bit of inland California to me. It's it's very peaceful, kind of laid back feeling. Anyway, that's kind of what we're looking at when we come in today. And. We're going to talk about Tiberius and Capernaum, and then over here in between there, it's only maybe, I don't know, two, three miles, maybe, maybe four. At the, no, it's, it's got to be two miles, that it's over here in Gennesaret, and that's where they call it a desert place sometimes. And Joseph Smith's translation calls it a place of solitude. 
And I've heard elsewhere, I've read some other things where people call this, this little area, a really beautiful place. They call it the garden of the gods because it's, it, well, that's irritating. <laughs> so they, uh, it's right out in here where there would be, there's right now, there's a lot of, um, there would be a, a lot of fields and, and agriculture there. But right up in this area would be where the loaves of fishes. So that's what well, that's we, we think. We don't know for sure, but that's the traditional site. Right. So, yeah. The traditional, yeah. The, yeah, I should always preface. We're not sure exactly where these things are. Um, we're pretty sure we know where Capernaum is. We know where Tiberius is, but things from there slide around a little bit. But Matthew 14 is where it tells it begins off uh, the, the chapter telling the story about um, Herodias's daughter and dancing before that. And, and for that, we have uh, Herod Antipas makes the, the silliest of all oaths ever. He sees the, this girl dance, the Herodias's daughter, and he's like, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. Well, first of all, that's a dumb thing to say anyway. Who, who does that? But anyway, he's probably inebriated. And, and uh, he's, and of course, Herodias's plan is this, that she's said, I want the head of John the Baptist. That's what she tells her daughter to ask for. So now for the sake of a, this oath, um, Herod Antipas says, okay, would have been easy just to say, I don't own that. I don't own the people. I just, but he didn't, he thought, no, nope, I've got to, my word's got to stand. And so he has John the Baptist killed. And that's where Matthew 14 starts out. And right. so a lot of the uh, apostles, uh, two of them at least we know and maybe many of the others were um andrew among them i believe was uh is were students of john the baptist they were followers of him first before um before uh, jesus uh, came on the scene and so they're quite uh quite upset about this and so they that's why they retire or at least we think that's why they, they go to this kind of deserted place this this little gardeny area which we think is Gennesaret, which is in that area yeah. we were just talking about. And, and what it means by that, yeah, I think there aren't a lot of towns around there. Right. But that's where we're talking about, where Gennesaret is. And um, and they retire there, and it seems like they're there to pray, and the multitude follows them. They hear where they are, and they come in droves. At least 5,000 men plus women and children are in the audience, and... Uh, they say, uh, well, it's even. It's evening time. It's time to eat, and uh, let's send them away. And Jesus says, "I got a better idea. Let's feed them, <laughs> feed yeah. them all." And they're like, "How much do we have?" Well, we have five loaves and two fishes. And most of our audience, I think, is going to be very familiar with this this um, this scripture or this miracle, particularly. And they feed all those five thousand plus people. And I don't know how many it would be. I, I mean, if you figure a lot of them came with their wives and children, yeah, I would expect at least double, at least 10,000, maybe more. Yeah, 10 to 15,000, maybe 10 to 15, more. Yeah. yeah. There's no way to tell, but there, that's a lot of people. And five loaves and two fishes spreads among all of them. And then they take up still 12 baskets of food left over. So that's, that's interesting. And you know what's, this miracle is not only a good, it is a good thing, but it also this just shows the the the, the people. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's in John six. Um, yeah, John six records that the that the people want to make him king after this. This is one of the reasons he leaves. Instead of just hearing his, his spiritual message, 
they all of a sudden want to make him a political leader. And he's, I'm, I'm not here for that. That's not my, my calling. I, I fed you out of the, out of, out of mercy, but I'm not here to be your provider. And, and, and so anyway, so he, they leave, they say, okay, we're going to leave and we're going to go over. Now this gets, gets a little bit confusing between the, uh, the gospels. If they go all the way over to Bethsaida, which is on. Well, the, before we move on, let's, let's talk yeah. about that whole thing just a little bit yeah. more, if that's all right. That's right. Um, yeah, so I, I find it uh, part of the things that really move me about this story, and we get it in in just about every version here. We've got the three versions we're looking at today, but um, we can see it in maybe Matthew 14. Um, as you said, in verse 13, when he hears that that John is dead, he's he's going off to be alone. And I think it is to to mourn and to be comforted and probably to say, OK, I'm, I'm in this on my own now and I need direction and that kind of a thing. But. But when he's trying to be alone, people hear him and they start flocking to him. And the Savior could have pretty easily said, okay, I need my alone time. And sometimes right. we do. But I love chapter 14, verse 14, when it says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Right? Uh, 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 the compassion of Christ and the fact that so many of his miracles are because of that compassion just really uh, is striking to me. And we talk about this group that you were just saying, how huge it is. Uh, that's a that's a big group. But there's uh, John gives us a little clue as to why it may have been that big, uh, because if we're looking at chapter six, which is where this story takes place, um, we get uh, verse two: great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. So he, that's mentioning the healing that he's doing. Mm -hmm. And he goes up into a mountain and uh, he wants to, you know, he's with his disciples. I think that's where he wants to be alone. But look at verse four and the Passover, a feast of the Jews was nigh. So what you have are people coming from all the countries all around down to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Uh -huh. And so he's, as you said, he's on that trade route. He's on that way. People are coming in and they're going to come in from the north and go along that that western side there. And uh, so you literally have thousands of extra people who have probably been hearing of Jesus, and this is their chance to see him. And that's part of why you're getting so many uh, people coming to him, and and they want their people healed as well. I, I guess it would be there are people like maybe didn't normally come to Passover, but they hear and they have someone in their family they want healed. Like, I would do that. I sure. would go Me on too. this long journey if I thought there was a chance that my child could be healed or something like that. And And they're coming. And so, again, you get uh, the Savior showing this great compassion after he, he heals them, and he's probably also teaching them and whatever else. Uh, and the disciples say, let's let's send him away. And he says, no, I, I and, and I'm not blaming the disciples because they don't have food and they don't know that he's ready to multiply food. Um, but I've often thought if we're going to talk about the scriptures being real, try and picture what that looks like. I mean, I, 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 I can picture like 20 different ways this might happen. I don't know which it is. Is it that immediately these baskets are filled or is it that as it's going along, like there's only one piece and then you pick that one piece and then the next person, there's also one piece that doesn't work perfectly because at the end, there's a whole bunch of baskets left over. Right. So when right. are they, when is it multiplying? What does it look like when you see it coming your way? Can you see there more and right. it's just never getting lower? Or what? I don't know, but this had to have been like overwhelmingly crazy to see this happen to be in that multitude uh i mean just think how long it takes to pass the sacrament to like 300 people or 200 people or something in sacrament meeting think of fifteen thousand people oh yeah uh, 
this has got to take a while and they're just watching and, and it just keeps going and it keeps I just I, so many times I try and picture what that looks like and I would love to see the big video on this guy where we see what it really looks like but this is why they want to make him king because uh he's uh, and and we want to keep looking for this he has we have uh, Elijah and Elisha both miraculously, you know, uh, multiplying food and things like this. But yeah, the people are constantly, meal. yeah, and they're constantly comparing Christ to the the great prophets of the Old Testament. But when he is matching them, and and sometimes even one upping them. Now we're going to see later that he even does miracles they didn't do. But this is one upping their miracles. Well, it's like fifteen thousand upping their miracles, right? Right, and. And that's why the, the, a number of people say, okay, this is beyond a prophet. This is Messiah. And if this is Messiah, then their belief is Messiah should be king, and he's going to get rid of the Romans for us. And so that's why you get this happening because of this miracle. They're, they're, they, they've just come to that conclusion. Okay, this is who we were wondering if he is. Now we know. Let's get this going. And Christ right. is like, nope, we're not going there. So anyway, sorry, yeah. I, I just wanted to kind of explore that a little bit. No, no, sorry. That's that's exactly what we're looking for here is to is to bring this together and to bring it to life. I've often wondered about that myself. How does it look? Is 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 Jesus just there, just handing out the baskets? I mean, he breaks them up into count companies of fifty, so that they yeah. can all be fed efficiently. He's not just he sets up a feast kind of, and it's not a like it's not a sumptuous feast. It's not you know expensive food. But it's plenty and enough for these people to eat and and much left over. So um, very interesting uh, how this happens. So I'd like to see that myself. They just keep cutting the fish and the fish just keeps. I don't know how that works, but it uh, it's very interesting um, how, how this comes together. So that's a very prominent miracle miracle that we hear about. And you're right that the, the people aren't trying to be um, disrespectful. No, they're looking for a messiah. And they think about it, and you're right. They they do want him to be in charge politically, uh, spiritually. They want him to vanquish Rome. They want to be lifted from the from these rulers that uh, are taxing him. Um, but it's not his time. So so he slips away uh, after that. And this brings us to our next miracle, which happens on that same area. We don't know exactly what part, but they get into a ship to go over. Uh, yeah. Maybe so we must have finally uh, it must have finally decided I am going to get my alone time, but you guys yeah. need to get going. I got a different way of getting there. Don't worry about me. Um, <laughs> so uh, you guys start and I'm going to go be alone for a minute at, when it's dark and everyone is done and going to bed and whatever else. Right. He's finally, finally uh, must be exhausted and everything else. And he's finally going to get his alone time while he sends his disciples off on what they need to do because they, they have to be slower than him. <laughs> right yeah because if they do go to Bethsaida we're not sure exactly which direction that, that they go some say he goes to Capernaum and then Bethsaida but if they do yeah, it that depends Bethsaida's... on which which account you're reading like in the John account he's going to end up in Capernaum right, right. and the, and the right. synagogue there but in the other accounts he's heading for, and they're they're both heading that same direction if they the are on the western somewhere. side they're going east yeah but how he's going to get there and beat him there I'm not sure you know but anyway that's an interesting thing how he's going to catch well, it's up it's because he can jog on the water <laughs> he's on the water yeah so he's uh so he leaves there and then in they the have to be asking the... that though i mean put yourselves in the position of the apostles right so 
okay, yeah. we're leaving you, but we're in the boat. How we how do we meet up with you again? I don't know. It's Jesus, whatever you know. Get used to different. I guess I, I, he'll he'll figure it out. So, yeah. you know, in the uh, in if you're watching the Chosen, which is I think is a great program, um, they kind of deal with this a little bit. They he just well, he has already sent them out on a mission, right? He's called yeah. them and sent them out on missions, and so he's kind of used to. They should be sort of used to him sending them out on, on in a direction. And then he meets up with them later, you know, checks them yeah. out to come back, you know. So he does yeah. he's not with them all the time. No. He, yeah. He I mean, I, I think that's why they go. I mean, it's like, okay, I don't know how this works out, but fine. Things yeah. work out all the time in a way that I'm not expecting. So fine. Right. And this they definitely weren't expecting yeah. because while they're on that, on the Sea of Galilee, which is oftentimes very uh, placid, but in I, it was, I think it was the uh, two episodes ago, or maybe you were talking about your, your friend that was on one of these little ships, one of these little tourist boats. Yeah when a big storm came up and it was really rocking that boat and, and uh, a big wave came over and knocked some of the students down from the front of it, like good six to 10 foot swells. I think he said, if, if I'm remembering yeah, right. And, and, and uh, I mean, you can get them even bigger than that. So maybe let me talk just a little bit about that. And I'll even yeah. uh, recommend, let me look. Uh, if you want to look at this YouTube video, although I should be careful, I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but I was watching the first part. Uh, it's called Monster Storm of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus walked. You can find that on YouTube. Uh, I, I haven't seen the whole thing. So if they end up swearing or something like that, then I apologize <laughs> for that. But Not on you. Uh, yeah. and they do say some things on there. I disagree. They say like, uh, usually it's placid. People live there their whole lives and they don't see waves. That's that's not true. Like I've I've lived uh, uh, like 10 to three days at a time. I've lived on the Sea of Galilee for like two months and I've been in plenty of storms there. And I've talked to the guys that run the boats and they, they've all been in plenty of storms and some of them huge. I've seen really big storms. They've seen even bigger. And there's a reason for it to happen this way. All right. So let's, let's kind of think, uh, we're going to think topography and air pressure and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So remember that the, the Sea of Galilee, it's in the Jordan Rift Valley, right? Literally mm -hmm. the Jordan comes in and out of it. Um, and that's the lowest rift on earth. Uh, it's about 700 feet below sea level, right? So the hills right around it are about 1,400 feet above sea level, with some of them getting to about 2,000. Um, but on the eastern side, uh, just beyond that, is the Golan Heights. And they're about 2,500 feet above sea level. All right. So what you get is when the wind comes from the east, um, it, it comes and then you get this pressure drop because it's there uh, the wind and air, air is up high and then suddenly boom, the, the, the elevation drops. So you get uh, a pressure drop. So it's going to drop down pretty quickly and that will make some waves. That's when you get your normal storms. If that air is cold right now from the east, you also uh, often in the summertime and different times, you're going to get the hot air. But if this is, um, when you're getting cold air coming off those Golan Heights and they are high, so you can get cold air. If it's cold air coming, then not only do you have this, you know, just the, the ground drops out from underneath it, but you've got often hot air coming underneath because the, it, the, it's the, uh, four, or 700 feet below sea level. So it's, it's warm, right? And, and hot air is lighter than cold air. So you have suddenly the, the hot air and the cold air switching places as, as the cold air comes down and it, it starts to drop, which makes the hot air rise. And that quick change, that pressure change can right. really cause winds and, and pretty big Kicks storms. Kicks up the winds, yeah. 
Yeah. And then if that wind was already fast because of all the pressure things going on with the Mediterranean and coming off the Golan. So if the wind was already going, say, like 30 to 40, 50 miles an hour, if it's a fast wind, and then you get the pressure change right there. Now you get really big winds with really big waves. Plus, it's a small lake with with and it's like 200 feet at the deepest. So you've got lots of opportunity for the waves to echo or bounce off each other. And you get right. you get really nasty storms. Uh, and, and so there is a. a topographical climatic reason for that that i thought would just be fun for our audience i mean hopefully that makes it real for them but anyway sorry keep going with the story no no that's that's great and by the way are you the monster storm at sea of galilee is that surge and rhoda in israel yeah sir day that's yeah. what I, i've told you about them a few times yeah. uh, by the way yeah. i recommend them highly they do some really neat um uh surveys of there and, and they are with some archaeologists and then they, they go they really throw you around egypt i'm egypt israel and it's really great. They're, and they're a beautiful couple. He is uh, Israeli by birth, and she is Arab by birth. And they're both Christians, and um, they are beautiful people. They're really awesome. You, you should follow them. Serge and Rodeo, Rhoda and Israel. Um, oh, does they it say Serge? Serge, yeah. So, oh, no, sorry, Sergio. Sergio and Rhoda and Israel. Yeah, okay. I she calls them Serge sometimes, you know, okay. just as short, but that's why. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but anyway, they're uh, they're really awesome people, and they have some great fun videos. So I highly recommend them um, to look at. I've, I've mentioned them here before. Anyway, th so that is happening to the, the the some kind of storm comes upon them. They they leave, and so think about our, our our turn of events here. John the Baptist just died. They tried to get away. They're thronged by people. Jesus performs a miracle. He teaches them. That's great. They're like, okay, we're going to go again. They get on the sea, and right. Now, Right away, they get into a storm. Like, boy, these guys just can't catch a break. I mean, they can't get any yeah. rest. Here's this big storm, and and uh, and they're really concerned. And the way the Gospels teach it differently, they say different words, but basically Jesus comes across the water to meet them. Now, John doesn't mention the, the, the uh, episode of Peter getting out of the boat, but right. Matthew certainly does, and, uh, and Mark covers it a little bit. Yeah, but Matthew is the most full account of this story. Right. Matthews does a, does a, a very interesting. So um, this little story that I had, I was probably eight or nine and I heard the stories of this and I thought I could have that kind of faith. I believe in Jesus and I'm going to do this. And so I had a play pool. I didn't have these built in pools. I mean, we're not like target shoppers, rich people. We had a little play pool that was maybe, you know, what, two feet, three feet deep, something like that. And I had a, I pulled up a little bench to the back of it. And, and I was just after church and I thought, I'm going to walk on this water and show that I believe in Jesus. And so I rolled up my pants a little bit and I thought to myself, and this is, I don't know, I'm already, I'm a little kid and I already thought, man, I'm, in, I'm already, I'm already expecting to go down below my feet. So I'm already in a bad, bad, <laughs> yeah. a, a bad way. I've already, I've already defeated my purpose. But I rolled up my pants. <laughs> Not showing <laughs> the full faith by that. Yeah. Exactly. So then I sat there for a minute and I thought, oh, all right, what if I'm actually tempting the Lord and I'm like asking for a sign? And so here I sat as a nine year old or whatever, with my feet kind of hovering, like, am I going to stand on this water? And if I go through the water and I don't stand on it, what does that do for my faith? Is it pertinent? Should I be doing this? And I sat there for a long time wondering, and I don't think I tried it. I don't even think I touched the water. I may have kind of tapped it a little bit to see if it was hard, but I decided it probably wasn't the right thing for me. And I don't know, besides just kind of a funny story, 
I've thought about this throughout my life. Are, are there sometimes that we are called to do miracles and are we called to get out of the boat? Uh, Peter asked, can I come to you? Yeah. And the Savior says, okay, come to me. And so he does, and he falters. And there's a lot of people focus on, oh, but he faltered. I think I want to focus on the fact he got out of the boat. Yeah. He got out of the boat in a storm. Yeah, there's, there's a company of two that walked on water, right? Two people right. in the world. Uh, that's pretty good company that he's in. Yeah. So, yeah, he he, fall, he falters, and, and, and Jesus chides him a little bit there. Um but still, he got out of the boat. I mean, I'm going to sit on the Peter side. I'm like, that guy got out of the boat. I sat there on the pool. I didn't do anything. And I don't think, I don't, sometimes I don't think we're called to do miracles. And I and maybe we are seeking for a sign. So maybe that's not the right time to do that. But at Peter's time, he exercised the faith and he got out of the boat. And so he learned some good things from that. But he he did walk, I don't know, five steps, two steps, once. I don't know. He got out there. He went a little ways. Yeah. So. I think that if we at least have that kind of faith, that's the faith of a mustard seed that turns Peter into a great person. I think I, he has I agree. plenty of failures, but but let's let's um let's give him some props for the fact that he actually was able to step out there and 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 exercise some faith. And I, you know, <laughs> having sat there in my little play pool and thinking, should I be doing this or maybe I shouldn't be doing it? Anyway, take that story for what you will. It's just kind of a funny story that pops up from time to time. But I thought about this when I was a kid. Like, I think I could walk on water. I could do that. But could <laughs> yeah, I really I'm sure get out could. there? And, and I don't know. I I think that I don't want to put myself in Peter's company, but, but I will put him on my side of the boat and think, well, that guy got out there and did it. So that's great. Which And, uh, and there are a couple of things when you mentioned like uh, some failures. Uh, I want to maybe recast this a little bit and start us thinking about something to keep looking for this. We're going to come back to it by the time the Savior is being crucified and so on. But keep looking for this trait of Peter that I think is worth um, watching for even these things that we might call like there's something kind of crazy about Peter, I think are born of a good thing uh, to me. And and so I'm going to say this and point out this example. And I want our, our readers to keep looking for other examples or not our, our readers, our audience. Hopefully there are readers primarily. Mm -hmm. We want people reading the scriptures uh, first and listening to us secondarily. Um, right. But uh, Peter's primary characteristic is he wants to be with Christ. He wants more than anything else to be with Christ. I think it's why he will argue with Christ and say, no, you don't talk about being killed, right? Because right. he wants to be with Christ. I think this is why when he sees Christ coming, he's like, I don't want to wait for Christ to get here. I want to go to Christ. And, and I believe that Christ can make it so I can come to him, even if it means walking on water. That is such a fantastic attitude. Would that we all couldn't wait for Christ to get in the boat. We've got to go to christ right uh, that's yeah. a, that, that's that's a characteristic so keep looking for that in peter i think it will explain a lot of things but that's i there's no better trait we could have than to want so much to be with christ and then i want to point out one other thing um note so i'm, I'm going to read from the matthew account on this one just um when he's we we always talk about he's he's walking and as he's walking he's, he's focusing on christ he walks on the water in verse 29 so we're in chapter 14 verse 29 and verse 30 but when he saw the wind boisterous he was afraid and beginning to sink i i think i mean we teach a lesson from that and it's a lesson worth teaching it's when you stop focusing on christ and coming to christ and you start looking at the difficult things that's when you're going to start to sink instead of just focusing on coming to christ but right. no what he says he doesn't say it doesn't say beginning to sink, and he cried, saying, I'm done. Oh, no, I'm going to die. 
So his faith may have faltered to where he's not walking, but he still believes Christ can save him. So he says, Lord, save me. He still has that much faith. Right. Right. He doesn't think Christ is going to sink. He doesn't think Christ is not going to reach out and save him. He believes that much. So he says, Lord, save me. And the story doesn't go. Christ chastised him for his lack of faith and let him sink. Right. That's not right. That's not what happens. Yes. It says immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. Then he teaches him, but he teaches him as he catches him. And I think that that's an image we should remember. When we are following Christ, and sometimes we'll stumble, and sometimes we'll have less faith, and sometimes we'll have problems, we should still always feel like we can call out, Lord, save me, and know he will reach out and catch us. And then he may teach us, and he may humble us, but he will do it while he is catching us. He's not going to let us sink if we will but just recognize that we're sinking and say, save me, and believe that he can. That's a fantastic point. And I think that that ties in with exactly what I wanted to point out in the last part of John six. Um, Peter's faith. Oh yeah. He does, he does some, he does some kind of silly things true, but, but his faith is he's kind of impetuous. He's can't wait, but he gets out there and he does things. And this is a great thing. So in the end of John six, and I wish we had more time to go through this, but, but in verse six uh, in verse 60, sorry. Um, verse 59, actually in John six, he said these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And I love that little, there's a little synagogue right next to Peter's house. I mean, it's a, it's, uh, it's 25 feet away, probably from his house, maybe 30 feet away. It's, it's very close to where yeah. they think Peter's house is. Yeah. And that's and, a later period synagogue, but probably the earlier synagogue was right there. Would, so would have been right on top of it. Right. Yeah. So many, therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying who can hear it. So this is what you're saying is tough for us here. And when, when Jesus knew in himself, the disciples murmured at it. He said into this, doth this offend you? And then if you drop down a little bit, um, he talks about this. And some of those people walked with them no more. In verse 66, from that time, yeah. many disciples went back and walked with them no more. So a lot of people who've been following him, who thought he was the Messiah, or at least at the time they did. Yeah. And they saw and basically said, I'm not the kind of Messiah you're thinking I am. And they're done. Right. Right. And they left and, and the things he teaches them. And so then he says, this, so, so before they, you go on, maybe let me yeah, emphasize yeah. that point. Just, I think that this is something we're seeing in the church today. There, ah, there are a lot of people who yes. are saying, this isn't the kind of prophet I thought we were going to have. This isn't the kind of church I thought we were going to have. This isn't the right. kind of God I thought we we're going to have. You're not looking the way I expected you to look. So I'm out. Precisely my point. Precisely what I wanted to focus on. Oh, because sorry. no, 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 no. The, the, don't be sorry. This is this is the synergy we have together. Is we're on the same path, and we're on the same thought processes, which is where the lead, the the scriptures are leading us. And that is that we're seeing the same thing today. And I see some of my friends who, for whatever reason, a policy or a this or a that or whatever that they don't understand. They maybe understand incorrectly, or maybe they don't don't know what to do with it. Instead of searching for it or looking into it. They walk with them no more, or at least they walk with our church no more. And that makes me really sad. But what this is what Peter says. Again, we're talking about Peter's faith. Then Jesus said in the 12, will you also go away? And right away, who answers? Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, let's see, uh, 68. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast, thou hast words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So that's our testimony. Our testimony is on Christ. We focus on all of our faith there, not on the policy procedures, what we think of this and that. We, fought, we focus on Christ and we listen to those words that he speaks 
And is that where our, is that where our, our uh, testimony is centered? That's what we need to center it on. And that's what Peter centers it on. And even though he still falters from time to time, he still dips down in the water. Yeah. He, we need to do that. We need to be that, that steadfast. That, yes. He's the first one to answer. Yeah. We're not going to go anywhere right here. And I, I love his question. You know, to whom else shall we go? That's a yeah. question people should ask when they're saying, okay, this isn't what I thought it looked like. So I'm going, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? That's going to give you what you get from Christ and his church. And, uh, and the answer is always nowhere that you go. People go searching for uh, what they want other places. They never find it. That's right. Uh, it, because there is nowhere else to go. It's only in Christ, as you said, and through his restored gospel. But, but uh, with that focus on Christ, as you said, there's nothing else is going to help you. President Holland talked about the good ship Zion. Before we step off the good ship, like to whom, do, where else are you going to go that has these truths that we have here? And uh, again, focusing and centering on Christ. And then we, anyway, that's, uh, you said it just as well as I could have. And, and Peter says it good, to whom shall we go? Where should we go? What else, what else out there in the world is going to satisfy it like Jesus can? It's not out there. No one. That, that's perfect. Thank you, Lamar. Well, thanks for letting me hang out with you again, uh, Carrie. I always enjoy uh, hanging out, and I hope to see you all again. And thanks to all our listeners and and, uh, and viewers. I hope you got something out of this. And if you did, please uh, share this with everybody that, uh, that you know might benefit from it and help the community grow a little bit. And we'll see you next time on The Scriptures Are Real. <laughs>